0: speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of democracy may the turbulence of our age yield to the true time of peace when men and nations shall share a life that honors the dignity of each
1: the brotherhood of all i see a world of open borders open trade and most importantly Open mind. Open mind. Hello and welcome to To the Republic, a show dedicated to civics, history, and U.S. institutions. I'm your host, Jake, and I'm joined by Matt. Matt is back, and that usually means we're talking about something foreign policy. (laughs) And uh, so, I I mean, the the hottest thing on the menu right now to choose from from the foreign policy, uh, from from the, the realm of foreign policy, is what is going on in Afghanistan. What some people is calling the beginning of the end of the American empire. Yeah,
2: that's never a great headline. No,
1: I, I just, I find the idea of an empire interesting. We don't really have to talk about mm-hmm. is the United States an empire or not. But oh, yeah. I, th- I, th- I do think uh, in order for us, though, to talk about Afghanistan, to put it in how we got here in 2021, we have to talk about two more, I guess... What we would uh, what we would think of as actual empires, how we would talk about talk about uh, the British Empire and the Russian Empire, yeah. um, definitely kind of set the stage for what eventually has happened this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we do need to talk about that a bit. So we're mm-hmm. just going to, I think, having a general discussion on Afghanistan. I, this yeah. isn't going to be an episode where we try to blame one president or another and say it was this guy's fault or is that guy's fault because ultimately, a lot of decisions. Were made that got us to where we are now. So I think I just want to have a general discussion on this, Um, maybe give you guys some context and some stuff, some information that you just didn't know about it and you aren't getting from more of the mainstream sources. So I think that's where we're going to go with this uh, this month's episode. Um, Before we start, though, I just want to... uh, Everybody can can steer over to uh, kxrw.fm uh, and hit that donate button. It really does help us keep us on the air. Uh, anything helps. Uh, we have a great host of shows. Uh, the Common Good, the Filibusters, just great local pol- politics show. Us, I like to you know toot our own horn. I think we do a really good job of talking about more macro level stuff, uh, either uh, at the national level or like last month, me and Dr. Sinclair talked about the history of education uh, in the United States. Jeff and I have tackled stuff like immigration. You and I always talk about all sorts of foreign policy stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we did some random episode about uh, the Azeris and the Armenians yeah. last <laughs> summer. So we've 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 kind of gone, the, we go the, the whole gambit yeah. uh, here. So if you guys really like what we do and you like what KXRW does, does please consider donating. Uh, so with that being said, let's dive right into this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, you said you wanted to start with The Great Game in Central Asia. Yeah. And let's define that because I'm pretty sure most people have never heard of that.
2: Yeah. So The Great Game is not one you'd find on the Game Show channel. No. Um, It is essentially the clash of two great global empires in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. Um, We're looking at the British, who um, we know had the largest empire, um, globally, um, both by population and by land mass, I think was it land mass. Or was that still the Russian Empire?
1: By the time, well, maybe not land mass per se, but were. by eighteen, by the eighteen fifties, population, Great Britain, and it was
2: like a quarter of the population worldwide. Yeah. Great Britain had yeah.
1: by far the, the biggest scope. Yeah,
2: and they um, essentially they were um, their prize jewel, the crown jewel of the empire was India. Um, India was the the spice. Um, Basically, the spice capital of the world. Um, uh, they were probably the most economically important colony that the British had, arguably at the time. Um, I don't even think it's arguable. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not. It, yeah, it was they're... a
1: captured market for raw resources, and then could sell back. I'm the trying stuff not back to, to,
2: to, to make <laughs> South Africa feel left out because they were also unbelievably important
1: they to the. They were. Empire. They were. They were. But um, India. I mean, Great Britain yeah. went to great lengths to protect. Yeah. India.
2: Um, However, there were also other colonial interests in the region. Um, Great powers like the French and Indochina, um, which is now modern-day Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, um, and uh, both parts of Burma, but mainly Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam. Um, and there were the Russians um, who were looking for something that they've desperately wanted their entire existence, which is a warm water port.
1: They even want that now.
2: They want it now. but Climate
1: change is giving it <laughs> to them.
2: <laughs> but they that was something they were lo- looking for. And, and also access to the Indian Ocean. The Indian Ocean is one of the most vital trade routes historically um, in, in human existence. And um, a country that is connected to this region is... Afghanistan, or the Sultanate of Af- Af- sorry, the Sultanate of Afghanistan at the time, um, they were um, a weaker power in the region, sm- kind of smashed between two, you know, reg- smashed between basically the British Indian um, or the British colonies in India and um, Iran. Um, so they were a lesser power, um, and Russia smelt an opportunity. Um, the British, however, were doing everything they could to prevent any colonial power to butt up against India. Again, that is their crown jewel. They wanted n- no one near it France, Russia, Jer- no one. Um, and it led to what was called the great game, which was a basically decades long feud. It was between, a cold war. It was a cold war between yeah. the Russians and the British.
1: A lot of spy uh, stuff going on. Yeah, A lot of uh, using uh Brit Britain, using their connections with, local armies they're trained they would train armies Mm -hmm. both burmese and indians to go fight in afghanistan um and then russian using their agents Mm -hmm. uh their paid mercenaries basically to to fight it to fight it out in afghanistan so this is kind of really where the the west's claim to afghanistan really kind of begins yeah
2: and it really set off kind of the beginning of the powder keg um that would basically lead to the instability of afghanistan for centuries Mm -hmm. um uh, I think the next thing to uh, kind of lead into with that is the the British ultimately were successful in driving out the Russians. Um, the Russians were never able to establish a permanent foothold in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the British ended up kind of biting off more than they could chew in the region um, with Afghanistan. They were never really able to get a strong foothold in Afghanistan. Um, the terrain of Afghanistan is very brutal. Um, it's very mountainous, arid. Um, it's... It's not one for the faint of heart. And ultimately, the British ended up failing to set up a puppet state in Afghanistan. Um, and then they ultimately left. Um, I forgot how long they were there um, after they drove out the Russians. I don't believe it was too long. Um, and they kind of moved on and fo- to turn their attention, again, mainly to India because it was really the most important part of that region. Yeah, but the big thing to know is that it started off with basically – colonizers trying to compete for buffer zones um, one trying to get a warm water port the other trying to keep their crown jewel safe from uh, an encroaching empire um, for, fast forward to the midnight uh, 19 um, sorry mid 20th century um, we end up with russia part two electric boogaloo and that is when the soviet union um, in order to prop up a soviet satellite state in the soviet government or a communist government, um, in Afghanistan, um, invaded, um, in order to prop up a, a, a rise for a socialist state in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Um, we had seen something similar happen in Iran where a socialist government tried to take hold. Um, it was ultimately unsuccessful. Um, but Afghanistan was this kind of another attempt at this. Um, and, uh, they, the socialist government overthrew the, um, monarchy in Afghanistan and was trying to basically establish a communist state with the backing of the Soviet Union. Um, this led to a decades-long um occupancy by the Soviet Union um the longest in in um at least the Cold War era um of an occupancy. I mean, I think it was even longer than the Vietnam War with the US being there. Um or it was right around the same time maybe. Unclear yeah, um, on that. Uh but the uh Soviets ended up um basically in the same situation we find ourselves now, um, occupying and trying to, and support a, a government, um, while fighting a counterinsurgency. This is when we first see the Mujahideen. Um, the Mujahideen were a a group of, um, Islamic, um, fighters who were, um, basically the forerunner to the Taliban. Mm -hmm. Um, they were, um, involved in counterinsurgency, um, basically trying to drive out the Soviets through, um, what we consider guerrilla warfare and guerrilla tactics. Um, and that's where we really got our first taste of the modern conflict, I think, of Afghanistan. Um, ultimately, the Soviets withdrew. Um, the, the Mujahideen eventually drove out the socialist government in Afghanistan and captured it and uh, established an Islamic um, sultanate um, or emirate. I don't know which is the – I think it's a sultanate. I've,
1: uh, yeah, I'm not sure of the exact Yeah, I term. believe
2: it was a sultanate. Du- we will double check that. But, um, the... Ultimately, the Taliban took control. Um, and do you remember what year they, they took control? Was it was it 80- 19- 1996. 1996. Um, and they, um... Granted, they took control, um, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. the Soviet, But I mean, yeah. that,
1: the Soviet Union-backed government or installed mm-hmm. government did last yeah. a few years.
2: Yeah, but ultimately, they too, um... Uh, collapsed um, uh, after the, the withdrawal of the Soviet Union. Okay. And also, the, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, a, a lot of um, historians, uh, economists, believe that Afghanistan was one of the big um, kind of it, uh, linchpins to the collapse of the Soviet Union. And that and um, Chernobyl. That, Chernobyl um Glasnost, Perestroika, um, the opening. There was a lot of things, but w- one big thorn in the side of the Soviet Union was Afghanistan and, and its economic costs. Um They spent tens of billions of dollars, which back then, I mean, just for inflation, were hundreds of billions of dollars of, of resources the Soviet Union could not afford to mm-hmm. spend yeah. in Afghanistan fighting this um, insurgency. And ultimately, it led to little fruition.
1: But was there a way, in a way, did Russia really kind of... T- use Afghanistan as a way to kind of keep because a lot of times when tensions and especially in dictatorships start Mm -hmm. to really tensions domestically start to really rise up Mm -hmm. you see countries like Russia or Mm -hmm. you can say any country will use kind of war as a way to uh quiet down unrest domestically was there was there like holding on to Afghanistan for the Russians a way to keep tensions at home towards the communist party down was it kind of like a, this recall for nationalism trying to rally around the flag kind of moment or is this clearly just a pure ideological battle where that russia just wanted to hold on to afghanistan to install a socialist government
2: Ultimately, yeah, you could absolutely make the argument. The Communist Party had been struggling well before the Soviet Union went to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, they got hit kind of with a double whammy with Chernobyl and Afghanistan. Um, Those were two massive, massive failures um, of the Soviet regime that really kind of started to put the, the the writing on the wall of what was going to happen. Sure. Um, granted, at the time, they may not have seen it that way. Mm-hmm. We have the benefit of hindsight um, to, that the Soviet Union didn't have at the time. But I think, yes, you could definitely make that argument. It was a way to maybe distract from the problems domestically. But I think if we take it into the larger context of the Cold War, I think it was just another example of the Cold War in action Two states. Sure. Trying to gain influence in a region, which mm-hmm. is South Asia, um, I mean, and United Central did, Asia. The is United it? States
1: did it, yeah. And then we backed the we were the backers of the guerrilla fighters, yeah. in Afghanistan, yeah. Uh, versus China being the backers of, of the guerrillas against us, and Vietnam. yeah, the Vietnamese, so yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny how all that stuff comes full circle, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, I think that gets us into the United States entering yeah. into Afghanistan yeah. for the first time, which is supplying. The Mujahideen, yeah. uh, freedom fighters. Mm-hmm. You know, to us, they're in this context, they are freedom fighters. Later, they become terrorists, terrorists. to us. Mm-hmm. It's just funny how that w- those words and those dynamics, <laughs> right? They go. can it changes so much. And enter, the, yeah. So then, enter the United States uh, yeah. into this into this yeah. realm. And yeah. do you think the United States is supporting of the Mujahideen? In like was was kind of like the turning point for uh, Russia and Afghanistan. Well,
2: yes and no. I think the Russians were kind of fighting an uphill battle in Afghanistan to begin sure. with. The the, so, the the communist regime in Afghanistan was never a popular one, um, uh, per se. Yeah. Th- there's been a lot of factionalism and tribalism in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, unity has never been an easily achieved outcome um, of
1: any regime in no, Afghanistan. No, because you're, you're talking about a country mm-hmm. whose borders were really drawn yeah. by outside powers. Yeah. That was all a lot of those were, were cultural, tribal, linguistic mm-hmm. boundaries. Yeah. And then all the, and then we had to build a map so then we draw borders and call mm-hmm. this Afghanistan. Yeah. When a lot of those borders aren't necessarily recognized by the people on the ground. Yeah. So trying to police or maintain a semblance of a government Mm-hmm. Over borders that people don't that recognize, people don't recognize, is not going to. Mm-hmm. Doesn't lend itself to legitimacy.
2: It doesn't lend itself to success. Yeah. Um,
1: and, and in order know. for a government to really take hold, establish those norms, have institutions follow what is considered now law, you have to have legitimacy. You
2: have to have people buy what you're selling, mm-hmm. and, and no. And yeah.
1: that has been a major issue. Yeah. For any sort of outside-backed yeah. government in mm-hmm. Afghanistan. And
2: it's important to also know the Taliban, when they took over after the um, Soviets withdrew, also struggled with this as well. A lot of the northern regions along the Tajikistan border um, were in constant conflict with the Taliban, open. And they already are again. And now they are again, yeah, yeah. And we're seeing this. So this this is not a unique problem, or this is not a, a new problem that um, has been going on in Afghanistan um so now i think going into our you know american occupation of afghanistan mm-hmm. our, our intervention in the region yeah.
1: but uh, before we do that we're gonna need to take a break and we'll get oh, into yeah, this on the other so side yeah. uh sorry to cut you off no, there. no of i course. just we had to hear from our sponsors uh, that's how we keep on the air yeah. so anyway uh so when we get back i think we're going to get delve now into the history of u.s mm-hmm. intervention uh into afghanistan after the september 11 terror attacks and the overthrowing of the Taliban government. So that's what we'll talk about when we get back. Uh, You've been listening to The Public. I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. We'll be right back.
0: Big thank you to Craft Cannabis, formerly known as New Vansterdam, for supporting our radio community. Craft Cannabis now has two locations here in Vancouver. Both locations offer online ordering and curbside pickup. The Mill Plain location has an express window that serves as a contactless option to pick up your cannabis products. The newest shop is located on Andreessen Road, off Patton Parkway, next to the Home Depot, across from Costco. Both locations are open daily, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. More information available at craftcannabis.com. Many thanks to our sponsor and friends at Say Chow Columbia River Tap Room and Eatery. Chef Peter has been cooking for over 27 years in the Vancouver area. Say Chow Greater Vancouver's premier catering company. Conveniently located at 2501 Southeast Columbia Way in Vancouver. Dine in or take out for lunch Monday through Friday 11 to 2 p.m. Hours will change and live local music will return once again as COVID phases allow. More information available at say-chow.com, that's S-A-Y-C-I-A-O.com, or directly at 360-210-5522.
1: Welcome back to To the Republic. I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. In our last segment, we talked about the early history of the West and empires and Afghanistan, kind of setting the stage, the long historical stage showing this as a process toward how we got to 2021 and the absolute mess that we find ourselves in uh with afghanistan right now both domestically with politics and then also the lives that are being affected on the ground mm-hmm. um there so We, after discussing that, we're going to talk about um, U.S. intervention into Afghanistan, Uh, mostly with the Taliban taking over from a Soviet-backed government in 1996. They had a five-year run to the point where the United States comes in and topples the government of Afghanistan run by the Taliban in 2001. So, Matt, what, I guess, the the main thing that precipitated that was the terrorist attacks in 9-11, which was not carried out by the Taliban. No. It was carried out by Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, which are two completely different entities. That's important mm. to point out. And not
2: only that, um, I think a lot of the people forget also was that w- who were the people who flew into the Twin Towers, the Pentagon. Yeah,
1: let's talk um, about that.
2: They they weren't, yeah, like you said, they were not members of the Taliban. They were members of Al-Qaeda, and a lot of them had the backings of the Saudi government, or not the Saudi government, but of Saudi Arabia, uh, people in Saudi Arabia, wealthy members of Saudi society. Um, uh, one notable being Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. He's He trained um, Al-Qaeda fighters. Um, he trained, uh, uh, um, he also had... Um, did some training for um, a lot of the uh, current fighters of um, a Somali-based terror group uh, known as Al Shabaab. Um, they were once an Al Qaeda-linked group. Now they're no longer, um, but at least I don't believe they are anymore. I believe they've splintered off. Um, it's hard to keep track.
1: There's a lot of there's a lot change. of AQ splinter groups yeah. just like ISIS. There's yeah. So I um, mean, it's it's hard to keep track.
2: But ultimately, Osama bin Laden fled to Afghanistan um, and was. Getting protection by the Taliban, um, Al Qaeda was training and kind of mustering forces in the region, and they were getting support by the Taliban government um, in Afghanistan, at least mm-hmm. providing them places to be and operate yeah. with at a minimum beauty. of safe haven. Yes, um, which ultimately led us to going into um, Afghanistan um, to rid the country of its Taliban uh, government, who were backing Al Qaeda and, and refused al- mainly, to give yeah. up Al Qaeda. Yeah,
1: and then. We overthrew. We went in to get Al Qaeda, and then yeah, by extension, overthrew the, the Taliban, Taliban who were protecting Al Qaeda. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and that's what got us in there, um, and it's really started our decades-long war. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the important thing to to really focus on in this instance was what the original mission was, which well, was to yeah, what was that defeat Al Qaeda mm-hmm. in 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 Afghanistan and Iraq at the time too. We were there as well, um, but it changed. As the years went on, Um, our mission became different. We had different, you know, it it went from originally defeating Al-Qaeda to defeating the Taliban. And then that changed to kind of building a government, building a new government um, to take its place, Mm -hmm. Um, setting up institutions like, for example, the Afghan national um, government, the Afghan national security forces. Um, uh, We basically were building a country from the ground up that we had be taken over
1: and what do you think caused that change because that's a just a dramatic change Mm -hmm. in mission yeah was that that was was that i mean that's politics Mm -hmm. right but what caused our leaders mainly in the bush administration Mm -hmm. to pivot so heavily away from the global war on terror i mean and i guess it's all under the blanket of global war on terror but what changed from a mission specific to go in and get these terrorists Mm -hmm. to now we're going to nation build
2: well i think one big thing is Okay, we take out Al Qaeda, we kill Osama bin Laden. What's to stop the Taliban from coming back? Who's who's there to run the show? Sure, we kick the Taliban out, but what's to stop them from coming back? Um, I think that was kind of a conundrum. Is like, okay, we we defeated Al Qaeda. Ultimately, we killed um, uh, Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. So not even in the country we initially invaded to fight them. Um, What's to stop another Islamic regime um, or, or, or a, a fundamentalist regime who is sympathetic to—because uh, I, I want to make this distinct that there is a clear difference between uh, adherents of Islam and those who um, follow a more fundamentalist, um, extremist ideology. Definitely, well, there, yeah, it's good to pick out. This isn't yeah. a
1: problem with Islam. This, this is, is a problem, problem with a specific group. A
2: specific group of extremists who adhere to a very fundamental form of, of fundamental ideology uh, mm-hmm. of, their, based their yeah, of their of their understanding, yeah, their interpretation of yeah. Islam. Um, and I think the Bush administration, once they defeated Al Qaeda, didn't have an exit plan because we could have pulled all of our troops at the moment we wiped out Al Qaeda. We defeated the main camps of um, the Al Qaeda the training camps. Um, the, even the moment we killed Osama bin Laden, we could have pulled out. But then what would have happened next? The Taliban would have taken back, most likely. They they still had a... I mean, even at their lowest, they were still recruiting fighters.
1: They were they were never leaving. So what you're saying is that it was always going to end this way.
2: I Well, I think that's with the benefit of we just saw what happened a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels that way. Um, we also were learning a lot more about what was going on as we were building the state. Um, unfortunately, the government we were supporting was extremely corrupt. Um, I think one of the most um, well-known examples is uh, in the Afghan national security forces, the uh, the Afghan army Um, generals would basically like fake enlistee, like uh, fake enlistment numbers and take the money for the soldier salaries for their own, pretending that there were soldiers there Hmm. Um, that came out with one of the more recent Afghan um, uh, dossiers about um, some of the security forces. Um, There were, there's a lot of corruption, a lot of bribery, a lot of um, kind of looking the other way when, like, for example, um, Afghani, the the former, now former president of Afghanistan, um, had been known to fail to provide adequate resources when requested in certain provinces because there was so much corruption going on. They couldn't get the funds to the provinces they needed to fight off the
1: Taliban. Um, And uh, and that that points to a couple of things. Yeah. I think it points to this problem of Af- Afghanistan in itself, mm-hmm. right? We talked about the terrain um, making it very difficult mm-hmm. to administer government, mm-hmm. yeah. And two, it has these; these are once again a ba- this is a boundary mm-hmm. that was Western created, and not one that a, lo- a lot of people necessarily in Afghanistan, outside of maybe the the government and the people in Kabul would even recognize oh, yeah. as being such. So uh, it's hard to, I mean, it was going to be hard for them to le- win legitimacy anyway. The corruption mm-hmm. on top of it makes it even more impossible yeah. to gain legitimacy. But we're, I kind of almost blame the United States in a way for that, le- for that lack, for that amount of corruption and the lack of legitimacy, because we've had one foot out the door in Afghanistan since 2003. Yeah. When we pivoted to Iraq, Afghanistan became an afterthought. Mm-hmm we we never built anything in concrete everything was car everything was plywood everything was temporary because Mm -hmm. every subsequent administration from you know from bush to obama to trump to biden has been saying we're going to get out at some time in the future at some time in the near future keep Mm -hmm. hinting at it keep hinting at it keep hinting at it now if you're a government official a bureaucrat or whatever in afghanistan I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I don't have no way of knowing this, but it would seem that if you knew that your government wouldn't be able to stand up to the Taliban once the threat of America left Mm -hmm. in Taliban, the Taliban no longer feared the the reprisal of of the American of American forces. Wouldn't you start trying to line your pockets to set yourself up for whatever the government was going to come? You could bribe. You can bribe. You're in position now to bribe. The Taliban to keep from messing with your family and give you the resources to exit the country once that happened? I, I think that's do you think that's,
2: an, do you think that's fair or foul? I, I think I think again we're looking with the benefit of hindsight. Sure. Um I I think at the time I think Iraq is a good example. Like we saw what happened when the US forces pulled out iraq didn't collapse it almost did when isis came um across the border from syria i um, mean sure. it it, 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 came, it was pushed to its heels but the government we set up is still there um it, it's struggling but it's still but there
1: the united states came back in and retook oh, Fallujah I, and took the. oh no 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 plans. absolutely
2: I, I i think there was a different exit strategy in iraq i'm, I'm not trying to say that they were yeah, the exact no, get, same yeah, situation I yeah i think that there was a more common national identity in Iraq than there was in Afghanistan. Oh, for sure. I think that helped yeah. to at least provide some stability. Mm-hmm. Was there was a, a shared sense of identity? Afghanistan, I don't feel like that was the case. And I think that competing national views of what Afghanistan should be limited the effectiveness of the state. Um, also, the fact that, like you said, We were constantly kicking the can down since about 2003 Mm -hmm. um, with Afghanistan. And right, wrong, or indifferent, Biden was the first president to give a definitive, firm, hard date with when we were leaving. I think that accelerated Taliban pushes. Again, I'm not saying getting out of Afghanistan was a wrong political or or policy move on the United States. Mm -hmm. How we got out, you could argue, how we how our exit strategy was finally implemented in this in this final run with Biden. Yeah, you could argue, yeah, it was not handled maybe the best in in certain circumstances, and 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 ultimately I think accelerated the Taliban's resolve to take over Afghanistan. But my only thought is this: How many more years would it have taken for Afghanistan to remain whole or or to not have a Taliban?
1: We don't know. Oh, no, it it wouldn't. It may have, not have happened. It may not have happened. It wouldn't. With 20 have. more years. Well, by the time Biden took office, the Taliban already controlled 70% of the yeah, country. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and my, my, my main point is this.
2: Afghanistan is, they called the graveyard of empires for a reason. No one seems to go in there and get the intended result
1: that they'd hoped. But why are we going in there in the first place? I, I feel like that's a question we got to answer. Maybe answer that on in the third segment because we're kind of sure, still talking about sure. it. But I, that's something I want to every, our listeners and for us as we're having about, this discussion yeah. and having this conversation is why do people keep going in there? Why yeah. is <laughs> why or just going into places in to begin with? Like and what is what is this mindset?
2: I think there is a moral argument um, that I hear a lot of. You know how, like for example, women are treated in Afghanistan mm-hmm. um, pr- during the original rule of the Taliban. It yeah. was not good. Um, objectively, from at least a Western standpoint, it was brutal. There was very few rights for women, um, very few educational options um, or opportunities. Um, you could argue, again, from a more Western standpoint, that, that was there was a moral imp- uh, imperative to help the people of Afghanistan, but that's still not a really great reason to invade a country. You could argue because of nine eleven and and the what happened to American citizens and and mm-hmm. them harboring Al Qaeda. Okay, yeah. fair enough. But then what kept us there after we defeated Al Qaeda?
1: Yeah, yeah. The going there made the going there made sense.
2: But the but the staying is where it, it, it starts to not hold its 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 own weight, and I think looking looking at Afghanistan today. We see the failures of coherent strategy, the failures or a, a, a singular strategy, uh, the failures of the government we propped up, the failures of the, the Afghan people to support the government we propped up, um, the fears of the Taliban coming back, the Taliban having significant more power than maybe the American people were led on to believe. We thought we'd kicked them out, but really they never left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, I think there's no one specific reason why Afghanistan collapsed. I think it's a series of decades of decisions that were made that led to the the further instability of the country, and ultimately the revitalization of.
1: The Taliban and what do you think that in, like that instability you just talked about? Mm-hmm. What arguably, from what I've read from people who are who are experts, Council on mm-hmm. Foreign Relations has a really good piece on just the Taliban in Afghanistan, who they are, uh, where they came from, and where they're headed. And I I I definitely would recommend um, reading it. It's called "Taliban in Afghanistan" by the Council on Foreign Relations, and uh, what they argue is that. The Afghan government that was set up and then propped up by the United States never could bring any sort of stability to Afghanistan. There was a lot of, well, I mean, instability being the antonym, and there was a lot of chaos in, especially in the far in the provinces on the on the periphery mm-hmm. of Af- of Afghanistan, to where. Even though the citizens there, the people there, may not like or agree with af- with the Taliban's brutal nature of government, but at least they offered some semblance of go- some semblance of government, some sort of protection from the chaos that was that was happening around them, from the lack of from the lack of government mm-hmm. created by the instability and the corruption in the U.S. backed government. So in a mm-hmm. way, we kind of in a way we kind of set the stage for the Taliban to come back.
2: Yeah, I again I think it's it's a it's a it's an effect of larger symptoms that were downplayed. Um I think and and I also think the Taliban had a, a, some huge advantages to their struggle against the United States. One being time. They had the time. They weren't going anywhere. This was their home for the most part. I mean, you had foreign fighters, but they had a clear mission which was to get the U S out of Afghanistan. They were, they knew that seeing at home, it's similar to Vietnam. When we first started getting television reports and news reports of what was going on in Vietnam, um, like really what was going on in Vietnam, people's, it started turning people's opinions about the war. Mm -hmm. Um, and the Taliban knew they could, like we couldn't stay there forever. Um, I think that's a huge factor that I think it's underplayed. The Taliban had time. We like how many more, U.S. soldiers could be sent back in, in in caskets for the public to see, without us starting to really question why we're there. Like what? Like why aren't we? Why are we still having people come home from the war mutilated or or dead after all these years? And it seems like the attacks are getting worse. Like hmm. I think that. I, I think there's been a lot of misrepresentation about our successes throughout the last two decades. All oh, that's
1: clear by the by the Afghan papers, yeah. the Washington Post, and yeah. covered. I mean, and our leaders there knew yeah. how poor the situation was on the ground and continued to.
2: It felt like we were trying to get our way. We were constantly trying to find our way out by trying to find something successful and building off it, but we just never could find it. For sure. And ultimately, it led to more Americans and more Afghans um, dying and not seeing the results that we were promised. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they I, were I, I, I guess like
1: yeah, promises are are weird. I mean, but just in in the first half of 2021 to kind of build on your point, there were 5, uh, 5100 civilian deaths or injuries in Afghanistan, yeah. which was significantly higher than anything killed in the, in the in the in the per year in the in the in the uh, run up to 2021 yeah. so it started becoming increasingly hot and i th- but i want to i want to touch on something that you brought up and that is public opinion and its role on american foreign policy because mm-hmm. i think it has directly ties into as you had mentioned F- uh, vietnam but before we get into that conversation uh we need to take a break mm-hmm. so when we'll come back i think that's where we'll pick up you've been listening to the republic i'm jake and i'm matt We'll be right back
0: Community radio like this is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics, Clark County's local print shop since 1993. ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at ADCO1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. Court-appointed special advocates for children known as CASA are volunteers who advocate for the best interest of children who have come into the care of the state as a result of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. You can lend your voice and volunteer with CASA to change a child's story. CASA offers virtual info sessions and training. If interested, now is the time to get involved with CASA and make a lasting difference in the lives of children and families in the foster care system. Clark County CASA is a program of the YWCA Clark County. More information available at casaclarkcounty.org.
1: Welcome back to To the Republic. I'm Jake and I'm Matt. In our last segment we were talking about America in Afghanistan. Prior to that we were giving kind of the history of Afghanistan and the West and how the United States ultimately got in and some theories as to why the United States stayed and how the situation on the ground deteriorated over time and then also why so quickly in 2021. Uh, So we kind of posed something right before the break and that was what is the role of public opinion on foreign policy and does that have any effect on why we stayed in afghanistan so you had a term that you created yes and if do you want to introduce that now
2: yes my term is vietnamization
1: okay what is that and
2: essentially it is the i think it's a correlation of nation building and public opinion okay i think when we go into these These wars, where we're trying to prevent the rise or the continuation of a government that has hostile intentions, or at the best, is a negative, a negative threat to the United States' interests abroad. Sure, Um, we try to replace these regimes with governments that are more accepting of U.S. Mm -hmm. um, uh, interests. The problem is with these we find ourselves getting bogged down in wars that are costly, they cost American lives, lives of the, the local civilians and populations, and we don't see the intended outcomes. And the population, at least domestically, becomes very disillusioned with both America and our impact overseas. Okay. I think the biggest one we saw was obviously, in, at least in most recent memory before Afghanistan, was Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's,
1: there's the that that now really famous and shared around imagery of mm-hmm. the choppers, like yeah. coming in the, the one in Ho Chi Minh city yeah. or not Ho Chi Minh city and uh, Saigon, Saigon, the, 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 the same And city. then the one in yeah. Kabul. And yeah, yeah I mean, it's, Saigon
2: is the same city. It's after the takeover, it, it became renamed Ho Chi Minh, Ho Chi Minh city. Yeah. Um, I think what we see is also the demoralization of the American psyche. Um, We, especially coming out of world war two, even after coming out of Korea, we were still seen as a dominant military power. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. We, we were, the the at least on paper, statistically, the most powerful military in the world. We are still today. Um, but when we lost in, in Vietnam, a country that is significantly um, limited in its resources at the time when they were fighting us, uh, their technology wasn't—they didn't have the air power or the air superiority that the United States has— and we were there for several years and we still ended up not achieving the result we wanted. And ultimately the regime we supported collapsed in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, it really made you want, I made the public wonder why were we there? Uh, you started seeing that during the war as well. There was a lot of movements, a lot of protests um, domestically saying like, why are we still in this war? Why are we fighting the Vietnamese? Like they weren't coming to our shores to try to take us over. Like they posed no threat to us. Mm-hmm. Why were we there? Yeah. Um, I think we start to see that in Afghanistan. I mean, obviously, I think it was a little bit different because, you know, Al Qaeda, for example, they did bring an attack to our shores um, with 9 11. But again, that's not the Taliban. Um, they were harboring them. Again, you can make the, that, you can at least make a case for why we went in. But after the Taliban or the Afghanistan or the, sorry, Al Qaeda was um, defeated, why did we never attempt some type of reconciliation with the Taliban that was more effective. I I know we had tried in the past and we had had multiple failures with reaching a negotiation Mm -hmm. with some type of treaty or a peace with them, Um, but it just kept kind of pestering the mind of Americans. Why are we still there?
1: I think it's, I think then, right? I don't, people want to point, you know, come back and and blame Bush for Mm -hmm. this, right? But no president, and I'm convinced of this, it'd be hard to convince me otherwise, but we can never know. Mm Who would have made a different decision after September 11th? Yeah, uh,
0: someone
2: was going to get attacked.
1: Well, from, uh, you, you yeah. can't you can't go to the American people, yeah, and say we are not going to seek revenge with our military for yeah. these horrendous, tragic yeah. attacks yeah. on the United States. Oh, absolutely. And America was so fearful at that point, mm-hmm. and they wanted they wanted blood. Yeah. And I don't necessarily mean as an American, I don't blame that sentiment. Yeah. Right. And so I'm um, um, the, um, the US president who's also feeling that, but also feeling that political pressure mm-hmm. to have to do something. Mm-hmm. And I think that fear of the next attack was one of the main reasons why we decided to become nation building. Mm-hmm. Because the Trump, the, the Bush foreign policy when he was a candidate running for in 2000 Mm -hmm. was not interventionist. Mm -mm. It wasn't a, the kind of foreign policy that we saw post 2001. It was very much, I'm going to focus. He ran on a platform of, we're going to work on domestic issues. Mm -hmm. And then circumstances forced that change.
2: I also think I want to ask you to, one thing that we forget, and I want to kind of pose to you is, There was bipartisan support for the invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq. This wasn't a simple Republican president, Republican Senate, Mm -hmm. you know, leading the way to us invading Iraq and Afghanistan. There was significant bipartisan support. Mm -hmm. We all wanted revenge. We all wanted justice. Yeah. At what point was it enough? Did we need a new state in Afghanistan for it to be like justice had been served? Well, Was it the death well, of
1: Osama? I, d- I don't know if Americans could ever, I don't even think today we could articulate that. Mm-hmm. We're, I, I I don't, because one, I, I think our leaders were the wrong guys for the, where's the wrong guy for the job. I, I don't know if, I don't think Bush had the foreign policy chops or the people around him mm-hmm. um, who could navigate through this. We were still running off of an old counterinsurgency doctrine. Yeah, when we in, invaded Afghanistan, and then to switch to a primacy foreign doc foreign policy doctrine, which to use this as an, uh, like an academic term, but this idea that you can a threat anywhere, a threat to democracy anywhere, a threat to freedom anywhere is a th- is a is a threat everywhere, mm-hmm. and this thought that the global war on terror was going to dr- fundamentally change and disrupt the global both us at on our home front but then also this the global system that the united states had built Mm -hmm. we vastly overplayed out of fear Mm. the threat that non-state actors posed yeah and i think consistently pounding that fear in the media made americans fearful that the next attack was just around the corner and if we did if we didn't get out of Afghanistan. If we got out of Afghanistan now, we'd be looking at another 9-11.
2: Yeah, I think that's actually something more on the spot when it comes to maybe why we stayed. It was that, that fear of the next 9-11. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worry that, again, people always try to point to Vietnam and saying that this is so similar to Afghanistan. I'm not convinced it is because I think the fight in many regards were was for different purposes. And I, I don't believe that Afghanistan is identical to what's happening now. I think they're very similar.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, similar, I, there's similarities yeah. in terms of the, the nation building, right? Yeah, That, I think, your term works perfectly yeah. for. And it has clearly, historically, basically never worked.
2: I'm also, just a side note, I'm low-key sorry if there is a term Vietnamization and I stole it. Um, I came up with this about like thirty seconds ago, and if I'd stole it, I'm sorry to anyone who owned th- it. <laughs> I have never come across that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure I think there's. You're okay. Yeah,
2: I'm sure. My bigger point was mainly to draw an, a a line between Afghanistan and Vietnam, sure. and how there are there are many similarities. Mm-hmm. But I think what bothers me the most about what these current events that we're seeing is that the inevitability. It always felt inevitable that I've, I mean I know we didn't think it would fall as fast. But even our advisors said they thought Afghanistan would fall in six months after our pullout. I mean, it felt inevitable that Afghanistan would fall back into the Taliban's hands because we saw how inept the Afghan national forces were. Mm-hmm. We, we were getting reports about this for years back in 2016. Um, looking at Vietnam, we felt the same way. We knew that the, the, the South Vietnamese government under No Den Diem was an incompetent government. They were a corrupt government. Mm-hmm. The uh, military was demoralized. They were fighting their family. They were fighting people like fellow countrymen. They, they knew where they lived. They could find them. The Viet the Viet Cong and the Viet Minh would find them. Um,
1: but in the same in the same time, there's very real emotions drawn mm-hmm. because the the Viet Cong and the uh, and then the North Vietnamese Army, the communists. We're in, I mean, both sides were brutal, but they mm-hmm. were incredibly brutal to yeah. people who were not ideologically aligned with them. Yes. The same thing with the Taliban. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, what we're going to see and what we have seen, what we've seen in 96 through mm-hmm. 2001, was horrendous. Yes. The Taliban literally strapped up the Soviet-installed president, cut off his his genitals, shoved him in his mouth, and hung him up in a town square in Kabul. Yeah. These are... These are brutal individuals. And so I also
2: want to just, sorry to interrupt. I, I want to also draw this distinction too. that. I know we're hearing a lot from the Taliban spokespeople saying that they're going to be a different type of regime, that they're going to be more open and more um, inclusive. And I will say this to our listeners. I don't buy it for a minute because historically, where is the precedence for most,
1: that? Most policy experts don't either.
2: I think I think the important thing is, their actions will show. And right now, I know they're saying they're going to give blanket amnesty to anyone who is supporting the U.S. forces, anyone who worked or were involved with them. I'm convinced that's just a way for them to find who they were. And we will see what kind of punishments they'll do Out because, again, well, historically they're speaking, going, well, they're, they're not good.
1: To, They're going to lay low now. For now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: But I'm not saying about now. I'm saying two years down the line
1: well because the united states attention span is very 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 short and
2: right now domestic issues are frankly taking up a lot more noise than afghanistan well
1: well, then also that rightfully so and we and we sat here when we talked about when we did our episode on trump's foreign policy and review Mm -hmm. the united states is shifting its focus to near peer competition yeah we are focused we are shifting we're getting out of the middle east and and the quagmires that were there Mm -hmm. and we're trying to reframe and refocus our foreign policy and our deterrence to combating ch- the rise of China, China yeah. rightfully so. Yeah, that's going to come with consequences. Absolutely. And the consequences is, is that Afghanistan is going to be ruled by the Taliban, a absolutely brutal regime. But is there anything that we should or can do about it?
2: I mean, and is all- it
1: our fault for it falling back to it back to the Taliban? Is that is that fa- is that fair?
2: My. Th- Again, if we hadn't have intervened to begin with, they still would be in control of the Taliban to the best of our knowledge. We don't know. Would there have been a popular uprising against the Taliban? We didn't see it when we were before we got there.. Yeah. Um,
1: and this is the problem with intervention, yeah, right? is that it's we just keep repeating these same we keep repeating these same mistakes over and over again. Mm. You get why it happens. Yeah, we just laid it out. It makes sense. When you look back at the environment that we were living in in 2001, Mm. it made sense and it continued to make sense. I think the problem is, is getting back to the the public opinion part of this, is that polls consistently showed favorability of staying in Afghanistan until 2016. Yeah, That's 15 years Mm -hmm. into this where i think most americans from day to day forgot that we were even fighting a war in afghanistan yeah. it was out of our thoughts out yeah. of our minds but yet if you were to ask the average american which pollsters did do you support withdrawing from the Af- from Af- from afghanistan and would that signal a weakness of america mm-hmm. on the glo- on the on the on the international stage yeah. should we still be in afghanistan the answer was yes to all of the above mm-hmm. and politicians are sensitive to that mm-hmm. nobody wants to be in biden nobody nobody no obama didn't bush didn't trump didn't, didn't no. did not want to be in the position that biden has found himself in
2: yeah i and i will give credit to biden for sticking to his guns for getting us out of afghanistan i mean it is a unbe- it's going to be detrimental to his if he ever tries to run for reelection.
1: I've, oh, I've, his, his poll numbers yeah. tank 10 points overnight yeah
2: no i, I but my point is at some point, we would have had to pull out. Unless mm-hmm. we want to turn Afghanistan into a new state. Like, uh, one of our... We can add a new start of the flag kind of state. That wasn't going to happen. No. So, again, this isn't taking a endorsement stance. But credit where credit is due. He made the tough call of a firm, solid deadline to U.S. engagement in mm-hmm. Afghanistan.
1: Now, I have, I have said this to a lot of people in private conversations... There are things on the margins that he could have he could have done, and ultimately Absolutely. he is the the president. He is the commander in chief at the time that all of this stuff is happening. Yes. Therefore, blame does fall squarely on his shoulders. It's it's the mm-hmm. it is the the standard in which I held the pre- President Trump to. It is the standard in which I held Obama to and, and Bush, Absolutely. Or a president that I've been alive for. Yeah. The that being said, you're right. I don't disagree with the hard stance but the reports coming out that from the state department Hmm. that this was like, it was messy. It wasn't, we weren't prepared for it. That falls on Biden. Yes. And I call, I mean, I would like to, I would like to see Congress investigate certain things of this, not as an impeachment of Biden, but as to figure out, so it becomes public knowledge of why thing, why it went this badly. Yeah, Congress to use its oversight ability mm-hmm. through the appropriate uh, channels, channels yeah. through its appropriate uh, committees mm-hmm. to oversight this, investigate it, and figure out why was it this disorganized and why did it end up this bad? Did it need to be? Yeah, was it always going to? Was it going to be this way? And there's nothing Biden could have done to make it less messy, or were there things that Biden could have done differently? That way we can learn from it, right? Absolutely. Sleeping all of this under the rug and in blaming Biden, or just blaming Trump, or trying to put up one poster. Of who's at fault here solves nothing. Yeah,
2: I I, I agree with that, and I also think, for, again, I, I one thing I also want to reiterate is we as a country have to reconcile with the fact that we there are multiple groups of people we failed, chiefly the Afghan people. We did not provide a successful state to mitigate the Taliban. Partially, you can put on members of the the Afghan populace who who failed to also build a strong state to fight back against the Taliban and also our troops. We sent thousands of young men and women to Afghanistan who came back either mutilated or in body bags. And, and, and I don't want them to think that their fight was for, for a lost cause. They fought for the preservation and the rights of people in Afghanistan from a brutal Taliban regime. And you're absolutely right. Biden is responsible for how we pulled out. He was the one who decided to have us pull out with a firm deadline. How we pulled out is on him. And, mm-hmm. and what we're seeing now at the Kabul airport. Like, it's a disaster. And I understand not wanting to be entangled in a foreign war anymore. I understand that. But think of all the civilian contractors who worked with the U.S. government, who now are at the mercy of the Taliban government. It's not going to go well. Think about the... The people who are trying, the women who are trying to um, escape the persecution of the Taliban from the profession. There's journalists. There's athletes. There's scientists. Um, there was a, a, a group of engineers who were young schoolgirls who were able to get out. But think about all the other ones who weren't. Mm-hmm. We left. We left them, and we said this: "Good luck." There's no one there who will help them. The Americans are gone. Today was the final day of the withdrawal.
1: Yeah. The, the last U.S. soldier stepped yeah. onto a plane this morning. Yeah. And with it, a lot of ramifications. Yeah. You can't, regardless of party, regardless of how you feel about the inevitability of this, if who's at fault, all of that, there is a very real humanistic aspect to this that anybody looking at those images of people...
2: Falling off of planes. Off of
1: planes trying to escape this. Women handing their babies off to US soldiers across the wall, knowing that they're going to be stuck there as parents, but their best fighting chance that their kid has is by going with strangers to America. Yeah. That is going to pull the string yeah, the heartstrings of anybody who witnesses, regardless of where you're at. And I think we all can rally around that. Absolutely. That is absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. And we at war, the worst thing that can come from this is that we learn nothing from it, mm-hmm. and we continue to use this as a political whipping pole to say Democrats are weak or Republicans started this by getting into the war. Yeah, who is really to blame? We are yeah. the American people because we wanted this war for as long as it was happening, we didn't hold our leaders accountable we always we talked about oh there's no exit what is the exit strategy i remember this this debate happening back in 2008 there is no exit strategy for for afghanistan yeah i I mean it was a rightful critique of bush by obama in the 2008 campaign yeah but yet he never left
2: yeah Trump trump never left
1: trump didn't leave he had four years yeah it took biden all of eight months to get us out
2: yeah again
1: but messy, messy right there is ramifications yeah. to all decisions and none of it was good is was particularly good and all people are culpable but ultimately if we're going to ever keep this from happening again because the same thing happened to the to the South Vietnamese who helped us in Afghanistan yeah. I and mean, and sorry in Vietnam yeah, to keep this from happening again we need to learn from it and we need to look inward at ourselves and hold our representatives, because this is a government for the people, by the people. Hold our elected pre- our, our elected officials to task for getting us into these things, and make sure that we don't do it in the future. Because ultimately, it is on us. Yeah. We are America. We're mm-hmm. a democracy. That's just kind of my final word. Yeah. Anyway, that's a time, uh, Matt. I really do appreciate uh, you to uh, you st- coming here yeah, and, uh, having, and having this uh, this long this much needed conversation. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you've been listening to, to the Republic. Uh, we'll see you next month.
0: Big thank you to Craft Cannabis, formerly known as New Vansterdam, for supporting our radio community. Craft Cannabis now has two locations here in Vancouver. Both locations offer online ordering and curbside pickup. The Mill Plain location has an express window that serves as a contactless option to pick up your cannabis products. The newest shop is located on Andreessen Road, off Padden Parkway, next to the Home Depot, across from Costco. Both locations are open daily, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. More information available at craftcannabis.com. KXRW Programming is made possible by the generous support by David Dansky with David's Toys, buyer and collector of old toy trains, including Lionel, Flyer, Ives, and Marks. He is interested in buying old transportation-related toys as well as toy trains from the late 1800s to the 1960s. David offers appraisals for fellow toy train lovers as well. David's toys can be reached at 360-576-1602. That's 360-576-1602.